I'm pretty sure the first competition I did was in Cedarby when I was 10. Mm. And I was the only girl. I've, I still wow. have the photo on my phone of me being a little 10-year-old in a pink outfit. <laughs> filled with all guys in all other colors. It was very intimidating, especially being at such a young age, being the only girl, and then being my first competition, it was very intimidating. And I needed a lot of push from people around me. I was not as courageous as I am now. So it was a very Mm -hmm. scary moment, I'd say. But once I got through it and I did it, landed, I felt so good. And I'm like, okay, this this is good. This is the metal set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Hello, Dawn here. We're releasing today's episode just following UAE National Day, when everyone living in the United Arab Emirates celebrates the independence of the country 52 years ago. This is a young country with a rich history and a vibrancy that is hard to beat. That's why it's a pleasure today to have rising Emirati star, 15-year-old snowboarder Amina Al-Muhari as our guest. Yes, you heard that correctly. Amina is an up-and-coming snowboarder hailing from the United Arab Emirates, a country where winter temperatures usually sit at a very nice 26 degrees Celsius. Amina is the first Emirati snowboarder to represent the UAE in an international snowboarding competition, which she did earlier this year at the World Junior Championships in freestyle snowboarding in New Zealand. Amina is also our first snowboarder on the podcast and also in a first for us, it is the first time that we have an athlete parent duo as guests. As Amina's mom, Maya, also joins us to discuss Amina's exciting future in sport. We had a lot of questions for Amna and Maya. We discussed how Amna came to discover snowboarding amongst many other sports, how she navigates training, being from a country with no snow, how she manages to balance school and training and also maintain her friendships, as well as the importance of competition. We also chat through the support needed from family, a coaching team, and also the wider community, including Amna's school, the government, as well as sponsors like Mobadla. We discuss how Amina's dream team rallied around her, supporting her goal to make it to the World Junior Championships and what it's like to represent your country at such a young age. We love this chat so much that we covered a lot. So we split this episode in two parts with part two live now as well. As always, please don't forget to check out our show notes for more information and resources. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And of course, leave us a review. It really does help us spread the word about these amazing athletes. Without further ado, here is part one of our talk with Amna Almahari and her mom, Maya. Enjoy. Amna and mom, Maya, welcome to the Metal Set Podcast. This is our very first parent and athlete duo, so it's very exciting for us. How are you both doing today? We're doing good. Thank you so much, Afshan and Dawn. Thank you for having us. Yes, super excited to speak to you. As I just mentioned before, I'm Canadian. And that's the first question people ask me when they find out I'm Canadian is if I can ski and snowboard. And I'm not very good at it. And I always make the excuse that I didn't grow up near any big ski hills. And so I'm really excited to speak to you today coming from Dubai and being an elite level snowboarder, making sure that I have no excuses, I should be able to (laughs) ski. So (laughs) Um, you've just returned from Austria, though, correct? You were at a training camp. Is that right? How did it go? Yeah. Um, it's, It went pretty well. I traveled with one of my friends, and it was just overall a big milestone for me. I've been traveling for a while now, but just this trip has really just been amazing, and I just hit a lot of steps or goals that I've been wanting. So it's Excellent. been a pretty good, pretty good trip. Oh, wonderful. Well, we're so excited to hear all about that. But right before you went to Austria, if I'm not mistaken, you had a snowboarding competition in Dubai and you won three gold medals. Congratulations. So Thank you. can you tell us a little bit about that competition and who you were competing against? It was an international fist competition. So it had a lot of athletes from outside the country, but also inside the country too. 
And it was just overall just a fun competition, just getting to meet new people, having to see how their experiences was, are or how like they train themselves. Yeah. And the competition in itself was also pretty fun. I took it more okay. as us riding together and just maybe getting points rather than us competing against each other just because it's more fun that way. Wow. And that approach got you three gold medals. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. So let's set the stage here. You're a UAE national who lives in Dubai. And yep. for those unaware of for where we record from, Dubai is a desert city. So summers are hot and winters are mild, but there's definitely no snow. <laughs> so the only option to see snow is if you head to ski Dubai in Mall of the Emirates. And that's crazy because you do most of your training here. How does that work out for you? So how often do you travel? How often do you train here? What countries do you usually go to for training? So I tend to try to go to ski at least twice a week and just like really train for a while, meet up with some friends and train together. And when I'm not in Dubai, I tend to travel to Europe. But I'd say our most visited area last year was Austria, more specifically in like the Innsbruck area, but we always go to other places in Europe. So this year we're headed hopefully to Switzerland, maybe Italy, just kind of spreading all over Europe and just chasing competitions, chasing snow. So it seems like no snow, no problem because you found a way to do it. <laughs> But growing up here and then representing the UAE in international snowboarding competitions, that's insane because you've taken it to the next level. You just don't go to Mall of the Emirates to like learn yeah. how to do it. How did you find the sport? Like when and how did you find the sport? So I initially started snowboarding. The first time I I got on a snowboard was on a family trip in Bosnia. One of my mom's friends offered lessons, like offered for us to try it and I've never heard of snowboarding and I was like sure why not let's just try it I've always been a fan of trying new sports so I said why not let's try it and the first day I fell in love with it and my mom has this one statement that she keeps saying is when I came up to her after it it's like I had stars in my eyes it's like I found my thing so ever since then I've been going to ski Dubai and training and I'd say around Two, three years ago is when I took freestyling seriously and I started like really getting into it. And then that's when I met my coach and we've been coaching for the past two years now. Wow. Stars in your eyes. I love that. When you find a sport and you're just like, oh, this is it. Amazing. Did you ever consider any other sports? Was there any other sport trying to draw you away from snowboarding? Or was it always once you got on that snowboard, that's it? Oh, no, I still do. I love doing lots of sports. So I always have my schedule full of sports. So before competing in snowboarding, I used to competitively swim. for okay. Since I was, I'd say five, I was swimming. Or I think younger. My mom could age check that. But I've been swimming since then. Ever since I can remember, I've yeah. But ever since I can remember, I've been competing, and I was at a very, I'd say, a very high level. Hmm. And then I went to snowboarding, and I kind of had to learn how to level that out so I could snowboard and swim at the same time because I wanted to do both. But unfortunately, because we were away so much, I had to drop swimming and just stick to snowboarding but i'd say another sport was football because i was i was always into football me and my brother used to play for hours on end in our front yard <laughs> so i got into our school team and i've been captain for a few years and i was really into it and then again i had to drop it because we were traveling so much so as much mm. as i don't like that i had to drop the other sports i still do them when i'm in the country and when i have the ability to but when we're outside the country i try to stick to snowboarding I mean, I join right. if I have time. If I have an off day, I'll do anything else. Like, I'll go bouldering or I'll go running with my coach sometimes. Like, we just pick up any random sport. Skateboarding that sort of training must also be and... helpful, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I guess that one's really similar, I yeah. guess, in a lot of ways. You're on a board. Yeah. But I will yeah. say, I am not the best at snow skateboarding because I have just started. 
but let's see. Hopefully, I can get equally as good. I'm yeah, sure but, you will. Uh, be. It, it seems like you can pick sports up very quickly, so that's something that seems quite innate in you. So that's that's good, and then you keep trying stuff out. So yeah. maybe you will find stars in your eyes with, <laughs> with that as well very soon. Maybe let's see. So Maya, this one's for you because when your child decides <clears throat> that they want to pursue a career in sports or play competitively, the onus then falls on a parent, especially when the child's really young, to help build that path for them. On any given day, you're the accountability coach, you're the psychologist, the cook, the driver, the travel agent, the bodyguard, the punching bag, everything under the sun, right? How do how do you walk this tightrope of being a parent of a growing child and also an elite athlete? Thank you for that question. That's a really really important question because I don't just juggle Amina's schedule, but I also juggle three other children's schedule. As Amina's one of four <laughs> kids, and I also have a business to run, so it is hectic to say the least. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, as I keep telling everyone, if there is one benefit that came out of COVID, that is that it has taught us, we are now know from this podcast, is that you can work from anywhere in the world. You no longer need to be at one particular place mm -hmm. to be able to manage things. So it really mm -hmm. becomes a, um, a balance of priorities where you are and how to juggle those. So a lot of really good planning and organization has to go into place. Nothing can really happen at last minute as then things tend to fall apart. But having a child that has the stars in her eyes, as she said, you know, from at the age of seven and a half, seven, seven and a half stepping on a snowboard, it really, as a parent, it, for me anyway, I think parents have a responsibility and a duty to as parents to provide the best possible opportunities for their kids with whatever that is. It might not be sports, it can be academics, it can be, you know, musical instruments, it can be art, it can be many, many different things, acting, dancing. So many kids are talented in so many different areas and they do need the support from home in order for them to be able to succeed in whatever sport or activity that they are doing. So it really just comes down to, okay, we persevere, we sacrifice, we manage, we plan, we organize, and we just keep going. And sometimes it's a minute by minute or hour by hour process. And at other times, you know, we're able mm -hmm. to plan a little bit further in advance and be a little bit better organized and handle things that way. This is a question, I guess, on that as well, because I really love that identifying your child's potential and then going all in to support them with that. I think it's probably a bit of a shift from when I was growing up, <laughs> kind of sometimes we were just kind of left to, to do whatever with our parents focusing mainly on academics, but academics. you know, broadening that out to sport and arts and culture. I mean, there's a real balancing act. This is a question, I guess, for both of you guys, because there's a mm -hmm. real balancing act when it comes to participating in sport and also education and the social aspect as well, you know, making sure that you're seeing friends who maybe don't do sports. Amna, how do you balance that yourself? And Maya, how do you see Amna balancing that? <laughs> all of those different priorities that you have as a young person? Well, for me, it is challenging. And it was more challenging the first time, like the minute I started doing it. The first mm -hmm. year, I'd say, was like really challenging because I was just trying to navigate my way through it. But I kind of got a good system down. So whenever I am in Dubai, I tend to have a different schedule than I do outside. So in Dubai, I tend to go to the gym. I aim for four, but I'd say three on a average basis. I go to the gym three times a week, go to school five times week. a week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I have two days to see friends and the weekend with my family being one of them. So I really try to give my friends a lot of tension or a lot of time when I'm inside the country. And like, I try to go out with them, have fun with them, socialize a lot. And then when I'm outside the country, I tend to focus a lot more on my sports. So I won't mm -hmm. be on my phone 24 seven. I'll be on my phone maybe two hours of the day. So I really try to give them all their attention or a lot of their attention when I'm inside the country, so when I can go outside, I can minimize that, but still have the confidence that they know that I still 
want to be their friends or want to socialize yeah. with them. <laughs> so it is hard to balance, but especially with education with my school, thankfully I have a schedule that mm-hmm. allows me to do my tests when I need to. And it kind of minimizes the amount of schoolwork I have to do, but still giving me the important stuff and having me actually do school still, obviously. Mm-hmm. So juggling that in the beginning was hard too, but I kind of have a schedule. So whenever I have free time that I just shouldn't be on my phone and I have time, mm-hmm. I hop on, I do my schoolwork, I send my teachers a quick message, let them know and then get on with it and if i struggle then again i send a message to my teachers and let them know let my mom know and then we find a way to work around it wow i want to talk about school and specifically the support you get from school but i just wanted to direct it back to maya in that you must be incredibly proud to see amna achieve such great things with sport but all of the skills that she needs to then navigate this as well with this balance, what you're talking about. It's, I don't think I was, I was like this as a teenager, <laughs> to be honest, I having like wasn't. a system in place. So you must be incredibly, yes. <laughs> Not even the, like, I don't even think I'd have the wherewithal to organize myself very much like mm-hmm. seeing stuff, but you must be incredibly proud to see all the other things that Amna, other skills Amna's developing as a result of her being in sport as well, like this, kind of outlook and being very organized and seeing those priorities as well. Definitely. Sports, a lot of, I guess, parents think don't place as much emphasis on extracurricular activities for their kids, whether it be sports or whatever else. But what they fail to realize is how many invaluable life skills kids are learning from a very early age by participating in sports, by being active, by having, you know, a schedule and an agenda to follow. And it does make them, you know, more organized, more resilient. So Amina, for example, as she mentioned, she was swimming from a young age. So that taught her the value of, okay, this day, this day, and this day, we go for swimming lessons. And, you know, so that was built into the schedule. Then this day we do this, that day we do this and so forth. And as I mentioned, with four kids in the house, you really have to be well organized in order to provide hopefully mm-hmm. everything for everyone. I mean, you cannot provide everything for everyone, but to, you know, to, to as much as possible to have a balanced routine in the family home. So as, as Amin has been growing up with this kind of routine and time management and commitment to, okay, now it's time for this and now it's time for that. When she, I guess, crossed over into, you know, taking snowboarding or freestyle snowboarding at a more elite level, that just came as a part and parcel of what she has been learning most of her life or all of her life up to that point about Mm -hmm. organization and time management. So I think she does an incredible job keeping all that together. And I mean, I I could not be prouder Mm -hmm. to, you know, to say the least, but she is still young and it is still, you know, um, she does still need to have that balance of athlete behavior results, training and so forth, but also still being a 15 year old teenager Mm -hmm. and being able to, you know, let loose. And I think she's found a really, really nice balance, especially over the last 18 months or so. So, so far, so good. Oh, that's wonderful. So going back to education and school, because obviously being an elite level athlete, you need to take time away for training camps and competitions. And you touched upon it just now, Amna, talking about the support you get from your school. How does the school, just talking more about specifics, like how do they actually help you? So they're fully aware you're an elite level athlete, right? Yes. And they allow you to kind of go and give you lesson plans and then you do them yourselves. Is that is that how it works? Yeah. So this year, we every year we sit, I've been doing it for the past two years, but every year we sit down at the beginning of the school year and all the teachers, with all the teachers, my head of year, we sit around and we all discuss, okay, this is roughly the plan of when I'll be gone, when I'll be in school. This is obviously my teachers. This is my lessons. Okay, how can we accommodate to Amna? And then this year's plan was I have a form where all the teachers can access and so can I. And anytime I have anything due, they'll write it under their uh, subject. And then I go into it and I get to see, okay, that teacher, that subject, Okay, that assignment is due on that day. Okay, I have a week to do it. 
Okay, let's do it now. And then whenever I can, I submit it. If I can't meet the deadline, then I just send my teachers a quick message and explain mm -hmm. I have a competition coming up, so I might not be able to study as much as I'd like to. So can I have an extension? And immediately they'll just respond with, yep, all good. And then I'll just carry on with that. So that's this year's schedule, I'd say. And like I said, it was a struggle in the beginning, but I, I will say I have got a better at making sure I have to check my assignments. And just in general, it has been a lot easier. And even when I come back to school, it isn't like I have to take a long time before I have to catch up to everyone else. I just kind of get back into school. Oh, okay, I kind of did this by myself. Okay, let's just keep going on with where they left off and just keep that going. And for me, Amazing. I'd say it's not easy, but it's definitely not the hardest thing in the world, so I can deal with it. If, oh, if that means I can travel that many months in the year, I will happily sacrifice a few hours in my week and do some schoolwork. Oh, I love so, that. Uh, yes. If I can add a little bit to that. So a few years ago, the government of Dubai actually realized that, or under the patron of Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Mohammed, that learning doesn't stop in the classroom. So KHDA, mm -hmm. which is the education, Ministry of Education equivalent, I guess, for, for private schools in Dubai, set up a program called Rahal, which means traveler, if you translate it from Arabic. And it's basically designed for gifted and talented students. So what they have done is they have set up this program that schools can access for talented, gifted students, whereby when they are absent from school, they're not actually recorded as absent because they, the, they recognize that other mm -hmm. learning is okay. taking place outside of the classroom. So the school has to be organized to set, as Amina said, to set assignments and um, work for her while she's away. And some of those can be with online learning platforms. Um, you know, it can be with potentially mm -hmm. accessing tutors for maybe some more complex topics that she's missing. But it allows Amina to, while she's away, to focus predominantly on her training and her competitions exams can be put to a later time or to an earlier time to accommodate for Amina's schedule. So that way she doesn't really miss out on anything that her friends are learning in mm -hmm. school, but she's just learning it at different times rather than at a traditional 7.30 till 3 p.m. as if she was in school. Mm. I love that. I think that's so yeah. important and really amazing from the government to recognize that and have that established so young people can go on and pursue excellence yeah. in other areas yeah, yeah. exactly so yeah i just do that right i i grew up in the 80s and 90s in the uae and such support systems were not in place and there wasn't a very strong sports culture so sports came to me at a very mm -hmm. later stage in life when i started meeting people who were in sports and got influenced and found a community and just to your point right sports teaches you so much it teaches you you're purpose driven not just goal driven you've got a discipline in place i wake up in the morning looking forward to go out and train and play and all of that. And Amna, you're pretty fortunate that you've got this at this age, so it'll hold you in good stead even as you keep growing into a young adult. However, it can't be, like you said, it's, it's always going to be a challenge because you have to juggle so many things at this age as well. And at one point, you did want to give it up. You wanted to give it up. Would you like to tell us why that was the case, why you wanted to give up snowboarding and what brought you to that point? Sure. It first started right, I want to say, before COVID. So the year before COVID, I was really just, I didn't see the point of snowboarding. It wasn't something that thrilled me anymore because I didn't find freestyle yet. It was just mm -hmm. a constant same thing, snowboarding on the mountain. And as much as that was amazing on its own, as a child that likes adrenaline, it was very slow paced and like, okay, I need something more. So I started going into freestyling, but it wasn't as I hoped or expected, especially being an adult in like the indoor dome. And so I slowly didn't find the need to snowboard. And then I joined a camp where I met my now coach and during that camp, it was that camp was 
pretty much the last camp where I was like, okay, I'll do this camp. If after the camp I really don't feel that I want to snowboard, I can always stop. Went to the camp, met my now coach, and slowly started falling in love with the snow again and snowboarding in general. But then I had to go back home again. And then some bullying and some stuff happened in school. And I lost all my motivation to do everything and anything in general. Snowboarding being a big one of it. So I slowly just kept spiraling downwards. Then I got the help I needed. And I slowly found the joy of riding again. And how snowboarding can actually help my mood turn from such a bad one to a good one. And then I started falling in love with going to the gym also. Because that also releases such good, happy moods for me at least mm -hmm. so I started falling back in love with it more and more I started training with my coach more regularly we started seeing good progression and then when my I'd say emotional my head was at such a good level that's where I hit like amazing goals I hit so many good things and this is two years of two years worth of training with my coach to get mm -hmm. to for example, New Zealand, that was such a big goal we did not think we could reach at the beginning of last year. And that's mainly because I had the mindset that if I can dream it, I can achieve it. And once I got that mindset, it was just a go, go, go. And that's beautiful. I did it. Amazing. I think a lot of people listening can probably relate to that story of wanting to take a moment and maybe not go forward, but then you meet people like your coach and feel inspired and just keep going despite the mood and then falling in love with a sport again. It's really wonderful to hear that. I think a lot of people will relate. Yeah. You mentioned New Zealand and you mentioned a couple of things because we're, as I said before, bad Canadian here, don't really understand snowboarding. You mentioned some of the classifications. We're going to get into that in a bit, but I wanted to hear about your first competition because if I'm not mistaken, you first started to compete at the age of 10. Is that correct? Yeah. And where was your first snowboarding competition? What was that competition? And do you remember that? I don't think I would be able to remember <laughs> something when I was 10. But then again, I was an elite level. I wasn't an elite level athlete. So can you talk us through your first competition? I can try because I also <laughs> don't have the best memory. I have very short span memory, but I can try. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the first competition I did was in Cedarvai when I was 10. Mm. And I was the only girl. I've, I still wow. have the photo on my phone of me being a little 10-year-old in a pink outfit <laughs> filled with all guys in all other colors. It was very intimidating, especially being at such a young age, being the only girl, and then being my first competition, it was very intimidating. And I needed a lot of push from people around me. I was not as courageous as I am now. So it was a mm -hmm. very scary moment, I'd say. But once I got through it, and I did it, landed, I felt so good. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is good. But for the next, I'd say two years, I was competing with no one else but myself. Mm. And I lost track of the fact that I was competing with myself and I just wanted to compete with other people. Because the whole point of competing is the fact that you have other people going against you and it's like a tie. I didn't have anyone for two years. I was just competing by myself. And that's another reason why I started slowly falling out of the love of the sport mm -hmm. because I didn't find the motivation to do it. There wasn't anything, there wasn't, for example, anyone to compete with to push myself to be like, okay, she just landed, she could be first place, I need to push myself even harder this run mm -hmm. to like secure my first spot, for example. It was just, mm -hmm. okay, do whatever because you're going to get first spot anyways. Mm -hmm. And I kind of slowly got into that mindset and it slowly was just not fun because I was just doing my easiest basic tricks and still getting first place. Mm. But I will say it has developed a lot since then and a lot more girls have joined. Still less mm -hmm. compared to the guys, but it is a male dominant sport. So it has gotten a lot more women and it is fun because now I have friends to ride with. I... When I travel outside and I compete outside the country, there's a lot more women 
amazing riders that you have to compete with. And the minute the first competition ended outside, it had a couple of girls, and it was still like a hit or a miss with me because I was like, mm-hmm. okay, there's still a chance for me to get a place. So it wasn't like a very high competition. But last year when I joined a pretty, not a high competition, but a high level competition, that's where I was like so excited because I'm like, look at all these women. They look so good. I need to, like, I need to compete. I need to get something. This is, this is what I want. And last year is when I really fell in love with competing in general because I never liked the spotlight being on me. And snowboarding is an entertainment sport. You have to love the attention. You mm. have to crave. You want people to see you. <laughs> and I never liked that. And now I slowly, I'm slowly like loving the attention and loving the fact that people are going to see you. People follow you for this. People want to see what you're doing. They want to see your progression. And of course, you're going to get some people that don't like it but that's not on you you just do you and if yeah. people want to see that mm. so i'm starting to fall in love with it i started falling over it last year but i'm so excited for this season and what competitions i'm doing and just the whole season since before october since we came back from australia the first day i was jumping i was like okay let's go let's go <laughs> only one more month and then we travel again like i was jumping you can ask my mom like every day i just run and be like oh my god we're going to austria let's go <laughs> as people who follow you on instagram i can tell you we love seeing you so enjoy that spotlight because you're making us very happy to see it and excited i can maybe add a little bit more to that for her first uh her first experience yes she was a little girl in pink i don't think we'll ever see her in pink again she doesn't do (laughs) amina doesn't do anything pink But no pink. But uh, she really, I mean, you know, those stars in her eyes again, you know, she came out and yes, she was the only girl and she was by far the youngest. And as she said, it is a really male dominated sport, especially here. Internationally, Mm -hmm. of course, there are more men than women, but there are some incredible female riders that have, you know, made very successful careers out of uh, freestyle snowboarding. And Amina, you know, being the first is really unique because she was the first one here. She was the first one to be sponsored by Ski Dubai. You know, she's now the first one to be sponsored by the Mobada Excellence Program as a snowboarder. And that is really a huge achievement and support that she needed to get. You know, she was the first to represent the country internationally in competitions from the age of 13. And then, as she mentioned, New Zealand, so that was the World Junior Championships, and that is an incredibly high level of competition with international riders from all over mm-hmm. the world. So now she has, uh, she has actually qualified for the Youth Olympic Games, which will be in Korea in January. So again, that's another first for the country as well. So just like she's, you know, ticking mm-hmm. off boxes for her personal achievement and challenges and goals that she set for herself, she's actually achieving all of those for her country as well. So it is a huge honor mm. and a huge responsibility that we try to play down as much as we possibly can just to keep it real and to keep it fun and, you know. No pressure, To, to keep it moving, no yeah. pressure. Yeah. It's not about the pressure. It's just get out there, have no fun, do your best, you yeah. know, and what happens, happens. Trust in the process rather than yeah. the results, you know. Yeah. I think you can only perform your best if you're having fun. I think the more pressure you have, the more you're susceptible to mistakes and, you know, injuries and all of that. But Maya, I mean, your role is so important in this entire process because at the age that Amna is at, you're making some of the decisions. So when it comes a time when your child's like, okay, I think I can take this to the next level, right from finding a coach to what camps she should be going to, all of those decisions, are they something that you take or she takes or it's collective? You sit down at the dinner table and go like, right, this is what we're doing for this season and this is the coach you're going to work with. How does that work? So we actually had this meeting yesterday, didn't we, Amina? (laughs) Um, I was with my laptop and we pulled up the competition calendar. So uh, previously in the first year, look, you definitely, as a parent, you can only wish for your child to go so far. But if they don't have the drive to be able to drive that 
forward or to go with that plan, you will not achieve anything except to get a child that is really, that will ultimately not like what they're doing. And that's never been the case because as Amina talked about, she came from a place where she was ready to give up because she didn't have that fun and enjoyment in the sport. Mm. So Yes, we definitely sit collectively together and, you know, we go through the the calendar of uh, competitions and we say, okay, you know, what level competitions are we doing this year? And there is, you know, definitely a, a plan in place behind the scenes of what do we need, what does she need to reach in order to reach the goals that she has? So just as a little bit of a side note to that, Amina has very collective approach with her coach, Yako, Yako Boss. And also with a mental mindfulness uh, performance coach that she works with from Australia, Simon. And so she gets really a, more of a holistic approach to not just performance based as in learning tricks and, and taking them to competition, but also the psychological aspect of what it means to be an athlete and how do you develop that athletic or professional athlete mindset and, you know, what steps do you need to work through? So when the conversation was geared around New Zealand for the World Junior Championships, actually, I was the one that had a comment of saying to the powers that be that were pushing her forward. And I said, no, no, she's not ready. What? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so I decided to reach out to our dream team, as we call it. So her coach, myself, Simon <laughs> and Amina sat down at a meeting and we said, look, you know, this is my reservations. This is where ideally they're looking for Amina to be. That was in January last year and New Zealand competition was in August, end of August. So it's really a very short period of time. And, you know, it was actually Simon, her mindfulness coach that said, well, what does Amna say? She has to push this forward. So if she's in for it, then we have to support her all the way and put everything in her place for success. And how do we define success? And it's not defined, you know, just by standing on a podium and getting a medal, but the process that it takes to get from A to Z to be able to compete at that level. So the whole team, the whole dream team gathered around and, you know, we put a lot of steps in, in place to make it happen. But ultimately, Amina was the one that was driving that forward. Yeah. I can add on to that. Yeah, and I can please. say as much as I have a lot of the dream team I obviously consult them I obviously talk to them a lot about the decisions I would say it is mainly up to me because mm -hmm. if I if a competition's on the calendar and I'm just not feeling it we first try and figure out why and if it's just I'm not feeling that competition I'm not confident or whatever reason we don't do it there is no point in pushing myself to do something I'm not going to enjoy because then mm -hmm. when I want to do it and I will enjoy it, I will have such a negative relationship to it that I won't make it a happy experience. Yeah, That's yeah. why with the junior world champs, as my mom said, like I told you before, we never, the beginning of last year, we never had it in our mind. It was never in our path because we never thought I could reach that level at mm -hmm. such a, like a fast time. But ultimately, I'm the one that said, no, let's do it. And I pushed myself for the next few months and I really just went for it and I jumped it. And I might have not been at that level, the highest level of the competition. I'm still proud of myself that I jumped them at, and I progressed at such a fast rate in general. Mm -hmm. But back to the question, if I would have said no, we would have completely just forgotten about it. No matter we would not if have gone. anyone in the higher power, exactly. <laughs> no matter how much whoever wants me to go, yeah. we would keep pushing on the fact that I don't want to go and there is no point in pushing myself to do something if I'm generally not going to like it. Mm -hmm. I think and there's a very not in uh, the right mindset, fine line between... Definitely. If she's not in the right mindset, you know, I mean, this is an adrenaline sport, a very high-risk sport, so, mm -hmm. you know, I think maybe what, what people need to realize is that in New Zealand, for example, the jumps that she was jumping, the first one was 18 meters, sorry, uh, 18 meters. So, you know, if you imagine standing there and you look up, wow. you know, put something at an 18 meter height, that's what she's jumping. And that's the smallest of the three jumps. So 
if your mind is not there to be able to say, I want to do this, I mean, you could seriously hurt yourself. And, you know, that's where my mm-hmm. mindset was of, no, she's not ready. I'm not willing to put my child in harm's way. Mm-hmm. But it was Amna that said, well, hang mm-hmm. on. I think I can get there. Yes, I'm not there, but I think I can get there. And she did. Mm-hmm. I was just going to add with, with sports such as this, which are, like you said, uh, there's a lot of risk involved for the athlete. It's a very fine line between being, and especially when you're working with a team, there's a very fine line between being a pushover and being headstrong. And I think mm-hmm. you're you're doing a very good job walking that fine line, Amna. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think you're wise beyond your years. Yeah. <laughs> because as someone who's now kind of looking at what I personally want to do with sports, I found myself last year asking myself, why am I doing a certain race when I'm not yeah. actually enjoying yeah. it? And I think it's probably earlier generations, we've been told to press on and never quit, but without really self-examination and looking if this is something that we really want to do. And I think it's so important. And I think it's a good mindset to share with everybody mm-hmm. about how you want to do it. And your intrinsic motivation is very, very important. I want to talk about the World Junior Championships in New Zealand. But before we do that, to kind of set context for everyone, we want to talk about what actual types of snowboarding you do, because there's some different classifications. I think you mentioned the earlier one, and your mom is talking about jumps, (laughs) 18 meters in the air. So (laughs) the rankings keep changing. The last we checked, you were ranked 148th in big air, which is a classification, right? And then 158th in slope style in snowboarding, according to FIS, which is the International Ski and Snowboarding Federation. And this is only after two years of competition, as you guys were talking about, like rising up the ranks through these competitions, which is amazing. As I mentioned, bad Canadian. not fully aware of the types of snowboarding there is. Can you talk us through each of the classifications or types of snowboarding that you do and what what they actually are? Because for someone who's not really engaged with the snowboarding world, I'm not, I look at your Instagram and I'm like, oh, this is so, yeah, cool. so cool. This is wild. <laughs> like, what is she doing? I, but I, beyond that, I'm not really clear on <laughs> what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, I can help you understand right. a bit more. So there's a ton of types of snowboarding in general. The ones that I do, it's a category under freestyle. So the whole thing's under freestyle. There's two parts that I do, slope style and big air. Big air Mm -hmm. is jumps. Anything that gets you in the air, anything that you jump, it's big air. And slope style is anything that you have to ride onto. So any rails, any features on the snow that you see me hit, that's slope style. Now slope style competitions have a mixture of jumps and rails together. Big air competitions just have jumps. So big air competitions, it changes from where and which type, but it tends to have one jump, you do the best lap and that's the, that's the, points you get mm-hmm. slope style it tends to have a couple of things so it tends to have a few rails a few jumps and you just try to do the best you can on all of them mm-hmm. my favorite is big air i love jumps i love just jumping in the air that feeling mid-air that you're like i'm flying <laughs> i absolutely love that feeling slope style is a hit or miss with me and i'm trying really hard to make it a very big hit because I yeah. do love riding rails, and it is something that once you get a good run, once you get a good hit, you feel absolutely amazing. It's that just rush, and you want to do it again and again and again. I'm training very hard to make rails a very big hit, just as much as big air is to me. But I think jumps are always going to have a place in my heart. I love jumping. I just love jumping, spinning, just all of it is amazing. Anything adrenaline-based, um, she's it's, there. It's, the bigger, the better. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like these are, yeah, the, the most adrenaline-fueled types yeah. of snowboarding. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'd say so. 
So if, we, if anyone goes through your Instagram, you do all of these, like you said, big air, like you're in the air, you've got all these tricks. How are you working on them? Like, do you just come up with the things that you do as you go? Does your coach say you're good at this or better at this? This is what we should be working on, or this is what you should be focusing on? So the way that me and my coach do it is we move step by step. So you want to start the basics, jump up to the next level, then to the next level, then the next level. So for example, I'll try and make an example related to snowboarding that could also help you guys understand it. Yes, For the please. jumps. First, the absolute basic, straighter. So just jumping it normal. Mm -hmm. Then you move up to one direction, which is 180. From 180, you want to do all four directions. So front 180, back 180, And then yeah, one you want to switch legs and do switch 180 front side and back side. Oh my god! After you have all of those kneels, <laughs> you move on to the next direction, which is 360. You do the same thing with the threes. Then you move on to fives. And you do the same things with the fives. You do the same things with the sevens, nines, tens, moving upwards. It is very hard to get all four directions. Like I just nailed. I'm still trying to get my fourth three. But I will say it is, like I said, once you get them, it's really good. Like you feel so good once you get them. But it is a very hard step. And my coach, it's a feeling that I get. And it normally is correct. And it normally lines up to what my coach says. So normally I'll do a few hits. And if I get them three in a row, my coach can just look at me and I can read his face. And I'll be thinking the same thing. I walk up to him and he goes, next direction? Yeah, let's go. And then you just start <laughs> in the next direction. Or mm. if it's not the day, if I'm not feeling it that day, if it's just not a day for me to progress, then that's good. Then we just stick mm. to the basics. We go back to our straighters. We do different types of grabs. We do different ones again. We do our feel-good tricks. Once your mood is a bit happier, your writing tends to get better too you just you you feel more confident you're happy then we can maybe start moving on to the higher tricks and the harder tricks and like mm. pushing ourselves but that's not every day as an athlete and just as a human in general we have our ons and off days and as an athlete it shows yeah and i i haven't felt it since i've been an athlete i felt it more and i'm understanding the concept of on days off days or days that you're just on 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 and days where mm. you're just like you want to do it but you're just not there so we have those days and you just gotta adapt to it and try to learn how to still ride on those days yeah it's hard it is yeah. hard. you aren't quite wise for your age <laughs> i know i'm like i should i'm gonna listen to this again and take some notes from you amna <laughs> i remember is, like what would amna do team. This is a lot of the dream team's help. Uh, I love that, the dream team. Yeah. You guys talked before about the lead up to the World Junior Championships in New Zealand, and you were the first Emirati athlete, correct? Girl, young young man, young woman, you're the first out of anyone <laughs> to represent yeah. the UAE, which is amazing. And you mentioned that was in August. Talk us through a little bit about the lead up to that, because obviously August is summer in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. So what And then you did, go to a winter location. Did you go a bit earlier? Just talk us through kind of your experience there. Will do. So yeah. we got told pretty late in the season that we are looking at the junior world champs. So we got told, I think mom said January or December. January. So yeah, January was the initial discussion, up, but it actually actually didn't start uh it wasn't yeah. sort of on our radar until the end of march which is the end of the winter season mm. in europe so it's very late and exactly so we got told or we decided finalized the decision very late in the season so there mm -hmm. wasn't much we could do during the european season we did try and sneak in another training session before the season ended which is what we did but that was only a week there's so much you can do in a week for such a high competition so then we the minute i came back from that trip we already started planning the southern 
winter. So we're going to mm-hmm. head to Australia. Yeah. Because we're already heading that side for New Zealand. Why not head earlier? Do a whole lot of more training. You get more confident. You're, you train. So we left the minute school ended. We left for summer and we went to Australia. And I trained with a camp for two weeks mm-hmm. in the mountain. And then... Threadbow? Yeah. We went to yeah. Threadbow. <laughs> and then we took a break. We took a little break because it was still summer vacation. I still had some family time. Then we headed back to the snow for a while. And then we had to go to New Zealand. In New Zealand, we went to Cadrona. And that's where I met my coach again. Because the whole time I wasn't with my coach. I was with a different mm. team. So New Zealand, in Kajuna, I met my coach again, and we started training a week before the competition, like really finalizing, okay, these are the jumps, you have to hit these jumps, these are the rails. Mm-hmm. I think the timelines are right, around the right time, Mom, I see you kind of looking around. <laughs> I could be wrong, I'm not the best at these days. Mom does all of that. <laughs> but it's, it was roughly around those times. So it's about 10 days, training, 10 days before the competition. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> roughly a week, 10 days. So we start training for those days. We actually realize we have a shot. I can do these jumps. This is amazing. The few weeks of training I had an amazing, in Australia, really pulled off. So then we did the competition and it was all smiles and laughs. And obviously there were some down days and some not very good days or very high energy high good mood days but mm-hmm. it's all part of it in the end i came out of it happy with no regrets and that's all i wanted to do i came into the competition with one goal or one very big goal for myself which is go to new zealand compete and come mm-hmm. out with no regrets lovely and that was my major goal if i fall if i crash if i don't end up jumping, whatever the reason was, just come back home with no regrets. And that's what I did. Great. And that was all good. I love that. <laughs> and that's why you were also the first Emirati girl athlete to be in that competition to represent the UAE. Maya, you mentioned that you try to keep Amna very grounded in this regard because you know that she is the first and there's no one else competing at that level at the moment. So this is a question for both of you. How did it feel then to know that you are representing the UAE over there? You are raising the the country's flag high. I can start off with that one. Yeah. I will say my mom's attempts on trying to keep me very grounded has helped and it is working because Till now, I don't think I grasp how important or how I set such a big goal. So the whole time in New Zealand, yes, I knew I was representing Dubai because I had the the UAE, I had the jacket on, I was carrying the flag and we did all that and I knew I was representing UAE, but I didn't and I still don't feel the pressure or not pressure, I don't feel like it's a major thing and I know in the future I will look back and I'll be like whoa what did you just do but I don't feel it It, it's just another writing there for me whether Mm -hmm. I am the first the last the middle doesn't really concern me I'm just writing I'm just snowboarding so this is not just me you know this is as we mentioned about the dream team you know but her coach specifically as well has you know really helps to just to to make Amina feel as normal as possible you know rather than having these huge expectations of oh my god you are the first girl and oh my god you are or the only you know athlete male or female doing this rather he sort of often talks to Amina about hey girly you're doing great but hey there's still a long way to go you know so I guess <laughs> putting that into more of an international context rather than a national context, because if you're just looking at the national side of things, mm-hmm. it's very easy to go, oh, yeah, I'm so good and, you know, so forth. But if you look at the international side, there are some amazing female athletes that are just mind-blowing with what they're doing. And the level is coming higher and higher 
with every competition that, you know, that Amina attends. So it's not about her, you know, feeling so proud in being the first Emirati and so forth, but it's more about her feeling like an international athlete and saying, okay, who am I chasing this time? You know, whose results am I chasing? You know, whose tricks am I looking mm-hmm. at? And I think all of that helps to make her feel grounded. I mean, in New Zealand, I don't I really, as Amina said, I don't really think she sort of understood how big it was. And maybe that's because, you know, the sport is still very much developing. So there isn't, you know, maybe if she was a first, mm-hmm. you know, football player or something, you know, it would be so, so huge. But we come back home, you know, when we come back from any trip and, you know, we, we arrive at the airport and, you know, we get in the car and we go home and tomorrow is another day and you just go on with your day. You're just a normal person you just happen to be doing this sport and Mm. you know you have some passion and you have some talent and you have some perseverance and you know let's see how far we can get Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, and i can also another add on to that is when i come back home it's really just i turn into a normal person again i just come Mm -hmm. back home like mom said arrive in the airport hop in a car come home, fall asleep, wake up the next day, go to school. I just become a normal person with a normal, a normal kid with a normal schedule again. And then Mm -hmm. I travel again and it's like I'm an athlete. And I have the mentality that I am an athlete all the time. But you have your days where you're just a normal kid. You're just going to school, trying to get through tests and studying. (laughs) Fight with your siblings. Yeah. Mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course. That never goes That never goes up. That never goes up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys are touching a lot upon mindset and the importance of mindset. And yeah, like I said, I'm going to go back and listen to this and be like, wow, there's so many lessons to take from, from you, Amna, and from you, Maya, as well. Just going back to the type of sport that you're doing, these big jumps, and you make it look so much fun, you know, having a great time. <laughs> when you're getting ready for a competition, you're kind of like moments away from from the starting to go down the slope. Do you have any pre-race rituals or things you do to really put you at ease, put you in the right mind space? Is this something you tell yourself? I'd love to know more about that. I love this question because mm-hmm. it is something that gets me. It's a talking point. And I, I tend to ask this question <laughs> to a few of my athlete friends because it's, it's generally interesting mm-hmm. to know the different mm-hmm. ways that people get ready. So mm-hmm. for me, it's, you know, your bib number. You know roughly when you're about to drop, so you can tell, okay, I'm before this person, okay, she's about to drop, that's when I put on my snowboard, I block everyone out, and I visualize my run. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? How does it feel? Sometimes I take off my board and I just do the actual movements, know how it feels, visualize myself snowboarding out, I'm like, yes, okay, perfect. Put the snowboard on, have a small talk with my coach, but not always, because I'm starting to be like, okay, I got it, I'm under control. So I'm kind of pushing him like, okay, go, I'm good. <laughs> Just a quick, you got this, this bump, put on my snowboard, put on the music that I'm listening to. I normally have one song that I listen to on repeat every time I do the same run. It's kind of like I have this routine. So in New Zealand, I had this one song. Every time I was on visualizing, anytime I was going to do my run, I put that song. I started at the same time, same place. Which it is? Well, this time it was, oh, I forgot the song, but it was the new song by Doja Cat. That was the song mm-hmm. in New Zealand. And that was just on repeat, full blast on my headset. It's like, okay, okay, okay. We got this. It's like every other day. Then you give yourself pep talks. I give myself pep talks at least. I'm like, okay. You got this. Easy. Like every other run. No pressure. All good. You got this. After I do that, put my music on, put on full volume. I tell whoever is about to tell me to drop to like just tap me because I don't want to be interrupted. 
and I'm just chilling, vibing, okay, 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 feel the tap, and you go. And there's this thing, it's a specific thing that you do, but I call it, or we call it switching on, and it's literally like you switch, you flip a switch, and you're just laser beamed onto what you're doing. It's like this. Mm-hmm. Here is just black, here is just black, you're just looking at the run you're doing. And you're just focused, no breaking, nothing. You just do everything from, I want to say most of memory. Like, you just stick onto it. And then you do your run. If it goes amazingly, if it goes how you want it, amazing. Perfect. You did your thing. If you fall, if you do anything, obviously, the switch kind of lags. Like, gets stuck in between the on and off button. And you just got to tell yourself, it's fine. Next run. It's fine. You got this. So you got to get up, take yourself, finish the run, get out. Then you have to reflect. Okay, what? First, what what went well? You always have to start with the positive. So what went well? What did I do that I loved? What was amazing? Then you go back to, okay, what can I fix? What mistake did I do that made me fall or that made me not like this run in particular? And I tend to go through this with my coach. And he's like, yup, 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 or okay, maybe fix that a tiny bit more, you're just slightly off. So we fix that, we talk, we good, we good, yep. The minute we come back, you're free. You don't think about it. You get it out of your mind. So you go talk with some other friends, you go listen to other music, you dance, you laugh, you do whatever. You get yourself (laughs) away from the competition, you just chill, you're happy, you're chilling. And then you see, okay, there's two people left and then it's my turn, okay? Let's slowly start dialing it down. Okay, one person, start the cycle again. Visualizing, music, tapping, go. And that's pretty much my cycle. That's very cool. I love Doja Cat too. I'm a big Doja Cat fan. (laughs) You have such a positive outlook towards sports, especially as athletes. And a lot of athletes we've spoken to who kind of succumb to the pressures of off sports itself that doesn't make sports pleasurable at all. I think you've managed to like move past that and make sports a happy environment for yourself. But being on the sidelines, Maya, I don't think can be (laughs) really calming for you. As a matter of fact, it must be a pretty nerve wracking experience just seeing your daughter there taking the slopes and doing some of the most riskiest and most dangerous things that in your mind you would imagine them to be. How do you kind of ease those nerves for yourself? And how do you kind of stand there and go like, what are your pre-race rituals then? Uh, I'm a disaster. I mean, really, (laughs) I cannot give you any good things. You know, know, generally, Amina and I tend to have this sort of, you know, for Amina, it's the day before the competition that is really stressful. And the day of the competition, she's calm and composed and she can just put it out and, you know, go for it. And I'm the opposite. The day before, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. We've still got 24 hours. Everything is good. And, for example, in New Zealand, and, I mean, any competition, but I'll use New Zealand because it was such a huge next step up. I mean, I literally felt sick. I stood by this, you know, in, in the spectator area and I was just pacing up and down and going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I, I, I literally, I felt like I was going to be sick because I try mm. as, as much as possible not to watch her in practice and not to watch her train as much as I can because she can get hurt and she has got hurt before and she has been injured, you know, and so forth. And as a parent, of course, you know, your emotional strings are, you know, okay, you're hurt, you know, don't do that again. And that's not what being an elite athlete's about. It's, you know, yes, you do hurt yourself. Yes, you have spills and thrills and, you know, bone breaks and fractures and so forth, but that's sports. So I try to, as much as possible on the day of the competition, to stay away from Amina so that she can get into in her zone, in her mind frame, and I can sort of panic off on the side and have my anxiety attacks on the side by myself, you know, and just sort of, but really it is about, you know, just breathing through and saying, come on, she's got this, you know, we've put so much work into this and she's put so much work into this. And you have to believe in your child when they say, I'm ready, that they do know that they are ready. And I think any parent, I mean, I'm sure even for you ladies, you know, your mum would still be 
still often stresses about, you know, where are you? You know, if your car breaks down, you know, we, we tend to get into this panic mode, but you have to just say, mm-hmm. she's got this and trust in the process of whatever she's been doing thus far and uh, freak out on your own off to the side. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I can imagine. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't have kids, uh, but I feel like I would be very similar. I'd be like, okay, I know yeah. I have to stay away from them. Yeah. For their Definitely. sake. I, um, I can tell now, you that I, when she does land the run, you know, it is, I mean, I'm the the loudest person you will hear in a spectator going, you know, people are like, oh, this woman, and what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> Please don't forget, this is part one of a two-part episode with Amna and Maya. Part two is live now, where we discuss sponsorships, Amna's future plans, including the Youth Olympics and the 2026 Olympic Games in Milan. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.